Father's Day is just around the corner. And what better way to show your appreciation than with a cozy and luxurious Minky Couture blanket from our collection. Made with the softest and highest quality materials, our blankets are the perfect gift for the dads who deserve to relax and unwind in style. Whether he's watching the game, reading a book, or simply taking a nap, our blankets will provide the ultimate comfort and warmth. Give the gift of luxury this Father's Day with a Minky Couture blanket. Visit our website at minkycouture.com or head to your nearest store to experience the unmatched comfort and quality of our blankets. Happy Father's Day! Hi, this is Marissa Meyer. And this is Delaney. And this is Sloan. And you're listening to the Prince Kai Fan Pod. Welcome to episode 112 of the Prince Kai Fan Pod, a Marissa Meyer Book Club podcast where Marissa is queen, captain is king, and I am your host, Bethany Finger. This episode is brought to you by Rampy and Crew patron supporters. Thank you. Please welcome back Cassie from Of Slippers and Spindles podcast. Hi. Hello, everybody. I'm so happy to be back. I'm so happy to have you. I get, you're one of my most requested people, and I'm like, I oh, wish. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. I think I think because you and I have like good back and forth with librarian random tangents. Oh, <laughs> I've got a good like librarian <laughs> story I can share today too. It happened just a couple days ago. So fantastic. Yeah. Lay, lay it on us. Oh, right now. Okay. So <laughs> we, you and I have talked before about how when you're a librarian, you're not really allowed to have opinions. Yeah. Like you just have to answer the questions that are given to you and like give just factual information, but not like opinion information. I had this lady in with her grandchildren and they, she brought a book up to my desk and she like slammed it down on the desk with the flap open and she was pointing at part of the description and she goes, I want to know what it means when it says evil magic because I have (laughs) concerns. And it was not a book that I'd heard of before. And so I was like, well, I haven't read this one myself, but let me see what I can find on the internet. And the internet was telling me that it was based in like Egyptian mythology. So I told her that and she was like very skeptical. And her grandkids were saying, grandma, dad lets us read this stuff. It's okay. We're allowed. Dad lets us read this. And she turns to her grandchildren and she says, your father will answer to the Lord for what he lets you read. <laughs> oh, but while you are on my time, I will protect your souls. Oh my. And I'm sitting there, of course, like, you know, huge Harry Potter fan, huge fan of right? fan, like <laughs> already knowing how the end of this confrontation is going to go. And I just like, well, the internet says that it's a combination of warrior cats and Harry Potter. And she's like, no, no, I don't like that at all. And I was like, well, I'll just keep this book for you then, ma'am. And it was so hard to be like, lady, your grandchildren's souls are not going to be corrupted if they read a book about a magical cat. Oh, my goodness. You know, so that was a fun, that was a fun day. But that's one of those, like, patron quotes that's going to live in my brain for a very long right? time. <laughs> and a combination of warrior cats and Harry Potter, that sounds wonderful. The warrior cat books are actually really good. I should clarify that, like, I'm not saying that, like, I as a 31-year-old adult think that that book is great for other 31-year-old adults. I'm saying it's good for the market it's targeted towards, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, But this wasn't a book I was familiar with. It's called The Tigering Cat. If anybody wants to, like, read it and report back. (laughs) So, yeah, it was 
Mm. It, it was an interesting conversation where I just had to maintain that professional veneer. It's hard to do sometimes. It, it, I know one of my um, one of my classmates was telling us yesterday that she had a, a parent come in and they're divorced, and the father let the kids check out Twilight. And the mother was just like furious and was like, how could you let him do that? It's got vampires. And she was like, well, I would never want to infringe upon the rights of a parent. It's up to you guys what they read. Right. And I was like, that is such a nice way to say, dude, it's not my responsibility (laughs) to monitor what your kid reads. We we don't police the books. (laughs) We have them on the shelf. Anybody can check them out. Like that's not up to us. Like, And if you don't like it, don't let them have a library card. Yeah. And I run into the... I have to do a lot of assessment with individual parents sometimes because the kids will be like, how many books can we check out? And our library's limit is a hundred items per card, but I have to kind of like make eye contact with the parent and, and like, do you want me to lie to your child about how many books we're allowed to check out? <laughs> what I usually say is, well, the library's rule is, but your mom might have a different rule. Right. But it breaks my heart. That's how it has to be sometimes. Yeah. It breaks my heart when I get these parents who come in and they're like, you can only get two books. And I'm like, come on. First of all. My mom used to let us get so many books. Like, first of all, help our circulation stats, okay? Like, a little bit more than that. Well, also... Depend. It's summertime. Like, man, when I was on summer vacation, sometimes I would just buzz through books. Like, oh, yeah. Two would not have lasted me the next trip to the library, especially if I was like reading warrior cat books, which are like, what, two or three hundred pages. Oh, and yeah, they're, they're all nothing. like, you know, it's like reading um those Magic Tree House books. I love them, but I would read like one a day. So, yeah, yeah and we I would just, need more. <laughs> we just started our summer reading program. Um, and we, we take our start date off of when the school districts let out and our branch library school districts let out about a week earlier than our main library school districts. And so we're, we tried this year, a staggered start. So our branch library started a week before our main library did, but because it's all run through the same website, technically, if you were a main library patron, you could still sign up and start reading and recording points at the earlier date. And I had a kid from the main branch library who had finished the program in three days, <laughs> technically oh a week before he was even allowed to sign up. Oh, my goodness. And I, he just sat and read all weekend, I'm sure, because our, our challenge mm-hmm. is to read for 24 hours. Oh, so, I love that. Like three days, he finished it all. And he's been sending me messages through our website being like, um... So what do I do now? <laughs> right. Like, What's I'm, the next Keep week? reading, kid. Right. You've hit all your prize levels. I got nothing else for you. <laughs> so because you and I have read similar books, I want to know if you ever read The Midwife's Apprentice by Karen Cushman. That was always one kind of at the edge of my periphery. Like I was aware of it, but I don't think I ever picked it up and read it. I was at the thrift store the other day looking for some um, extra yarn and I saw it on the shelf for a quarter and I was like, what? And it's seen better days. Um, (laughs) It's barely hanging on by a thread, but I just could not pass up the opportunity to buy it. I have not read it since I was probably like 13. So I was like, oh, I feel like I really need this for the nostalgia. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So I um, very recently finally caved and got a TikTok. 
Um, oh, and I, <laughs> I've been making book review videos, but specifically to help me get back on track with this challenge that I'm supposed to be doing where I read all the books that I own. Cause I own a lot of books that I've me never too. read. And so <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of using TikTok for that where I'll draw out of a hat, um, what my next book is going to be. That's fun, but I don't think I could do that. <laughs> I go based on my mood. So what if I pick something and I'm not in the mood for it? <laughs> I have to read it anyway. It helps that most of my bookshelf is like middle grade and young adults. So they read pretty fast. Um, That's true. But I've been doing that and then like deciding, am I going to keep this book or am I going to donate it? And I have a much harder time donating the books that I read and loved as a kid even if I reread them and I'm like, this isn't actually that good a book. Like I have a really <laughs> hard time letting go of it. I'm like, but I loved it even so if it's much not good. when I was in middle school. <laughs> right. Like. I completely agree. Yeah. So, so there are some books that are definitely staying on my bookshelf because of that nostalgia factor. Right. Like 100%. So because you read middle grade, have you read The Truth As Told by. um, um By Mason. Mason, Mason Buttle. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. Yes. Did you read it? I did. I read that a couple of years ago when oh. it first came out for my middle school book group. My middle school it book group. It made me cry. I loved it so, so much. My middle school I was really book stressed group, out, but I did love it. <laughs> they really like Leslie O'Connor, Leslie Connor, mm -hmm. um, who wrote that one. She also wrote one called All Rise for the Honorable Perry T. Cook that's very good as well. I'll have to put it on my list because I. I adored that book. I was stressed out because I can't stand when people don't believe people when they're telling the truth. Especially kids. But, oh my gosh. Yes. I get that genuinely frustrates me. Well, <laughs> but yeah. I just loved that book so much. It's very and powerful because it's about a, so much reading it. Yeah, it's about a kid with some developmental delays and he has trouble communicating sometimes and his best friend goes missing. And they're trying to get him to tell him, tell them what happened. And then they don't believe him when he does tell them because he tells it in a, a unique way from his unique perspective. And they like refuse to believe him. And it is so frustrating to read. But it's such a good but book. It, but it's such a, it's such a, like, but such a powerful, mm -hmm. magnificent story and educating. I, Oh, I've already forgot what it's called, but Seeing in Colors. I had never heard of that before until oh, reading that book. Yes, Synesthesia. There you go. Yeah, I had never heard of that. I remember I remember going on a rabbit hole, like, there's of information. Some other, there's some other good uh, middle grade YA books about synesthesia. Um, Wendy Mass has one called A Mango-Shaped Space. That was, like, my mm -hmm. first introduction to it. And then I actually have a friend who had synesthesia. More when she was younger. You kind of grow out of it. A lot of people, the older you get. I love it, though. It, it's I highly recommend it, to, even if you're an adult. Oh, absolutely. You know. So while we're on the subject of books, <laughs> what are you reading right now? I actually just finished a really good book um, called Anne of Manhattan. It just came out, and it is a modernization of Anne of Green Gables. Oh, and I was very skeptical going into it. I was like, mm, yeah, okay, modernization, sure. <laughs> but I actually really liked it. It was absolutely delightful. And they did a really good job. I, off the top of my head, cannot remember the author. Um, 
but the, the author did a really good job of telling the story that everybody's here for, which is the romance between Anne and Gilbert, but also giving us enough flashbacks that we get those classic, iconic Anne of Green Gables scenes that everybody like wants to be part of the story. I love that. I love retellings of any kind. I'm actually reading a retelling called Pride and Premeditation. Okay. And it's really good so far. Is it? It's like a murder mystery Excellent. of Pride and Prejudice. And I love it so much. I was really like hesitant because a lot of the Pride and Prejudice like retellings that I've read have not been very good. So I was kind of hesitant, but I was emailing Marissa about doing an episode together. And uh, she was like, did you read it yet? I know you love Pride and Prejudice. And I was like, no, I was kind of hesitant. And she was like, no, it's real. You you should read it. It's really good. And it's like, well, I'm not going to not read it if Marissa well, Myers exactly. wants Marissa me to read it. Too, so absolutely. <laughs> I follow orders, <laughs> but it's by, it's by Terza Price. And I absolutely adore it. I think it's wonderful. I'm, I've still got like 100 pages left because grad school. Is right. Exhausting. Yeah. But <laughs> but it's really good so far. I love it. I'm surprised by how surprising it is because it is a retelling. So I was like, I'll probably be able to, you know, pick up on most of the clues. I'll probably be able to guess the plot. And there's still been a few things that have gotten me so far. So I love that. Excellent. Yeah, I'm hit or miss on Pride and Prejudice retellings too. I tried to read one a couple months ago called Unequal Affections. That was like a what if version. And it was like, what if Elizabeth accepted the first proposal? Oh. And I just, I can't. My brain does not like what ifs and it never has. And so I'm sitting there trying to read this book. And the whole time the back of my mind is going, okay, but, but she didn't. Like, you do remember that she didn't, <laughs> right? Like she didn't accept this proposal. This isn't what happened. And I'm like, yes, brain, I know that. We're, we're doing a thought experiment. Can you just let me enjoy it? And my brain just would not. It was like, no, because this isn't what happened. I completely understand that. Yeah, I, I read Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, which if you're listening and you have not read it, I just gave you the entire plot. Yes. like It's, it's literally it's Pride and Prejudice, word for word, Pride and Prejudice, and then sometimes there's zombies. Uh, so don't feel like you need to read it because I just told you everything. Um, <laughs> I read Death Comes to Pemberley, which is not a retelling, but like a spinoff kind of. It's like a continuation. Yeah. And it was okay. I've seen the, uh, the I, miniseries that they made of it. I have not seen the miniseries. I, well, I think the story was good. The flow just didn't, I don't know. It just didn't click for me, I guess. Like, but I can overlook a lot of flaws, like you don't have to be the best speller. You don't have to be great at grammar. Like if I find the characters relatable and I enjoy the overall plot, I'm usually good, you know, but for this one, there was just something about it that just didn't feel like it clicked for me. I'm not crazy about how the, how Elizabeth and Darcy are characterized in that one. Judging mm-hmm. purely off of the miniseries. Cause I haven't read the books. I've just watched the miniseries. Um, they don't seem to have like, the same like chemistry and connection yeah, as they, they did. Yeah, they don't have the same connection and they like have gone backwards in a lot of yes. their like communication issues that, that you would think they would have gotten past. But I will say that the miniseries is worth watching because Matthew Good is uh, Wickham in it. Oh, so, <laughs> okay. So like for that alone. That's fair. <laughs> for that alone, go watch it. 
and um, That's fair. Jenna Louise. <laughs> Jenna Jenna Louise Coleman is that her name from Doctor Who? Oh, I is, adore her. Uh, she's adorable. She's Lydia. Oh, that would be fun. She'd be a good Lydia. Yeah. I like that. Um, and yeah. Anne of Manhattan. I, I looked up the author. Is Brina Starler? Brina Starler. Okay, is the author on that one? I love that. I I also have tons of books I have not read, but it's not because I don't plan on it. It's because I see it. I'm like, that looks good. And I, I know I'll get to it, you know? So mm-hmm. we'll have to add that to the never ending list. Exactly. <laughs> I also have a never ending list. And I, I know it's, it's probably my favorite thing about life though, is that I hope that list never, never ends. I don't, I don't ever want to run out of a good book to read. I don't think that's ever going to be a risk. Good, good, good. (laughs) That's my plan in life. (laughs) So let's talk about some fan art Friday because uh, I got some amazing fan art, you guys. So the first is by E-E-R-N-A on Tumblr. And both of these, I want to say, are from the pages that we're going to read today. But they're both very unique scenes that you don't see a lot. So this first one is from Celine's third birthday. And it's Celine, Jacin, Winter, and Everett at the actual birthday party blowing out the candles. And I love it. Celine and Winter are trying to blow out the candle. Jacin looks like grumpy. Uh, <laughs> Everett is like smiling, doting father. Like, I think it's just adorable. It is super cute. Like, I love the intense concentration on both girls' faces. <laughs> like trying to get yeah. these candles blown out. Um, I love Winter's hair. Like her curls are amazing. Mm-hmm. I love how dark skinned Everett and Winter are. Yes. As well. Um, it's just, it's so cute. I love that it feels, I don't know, genuine. Is that weird to say about a cartoon drawing? But like it does feel genuine to these characters. Like Everett looks happy and doting and Jacin looks kind of grumpy and exactly and yeah Celine and Winter just look like focused on the prize and like I just it it I get kind of a warm fuzzy feeling when I look at it <laughs> yeah it's a delightful delightful picture it is as is our next one which is by Tara TJ can you hear my dogs a little bit yeah Okay. Well, if anybody's listening, Scamp and Beowulf got bones today (laughs) because I'm a bad mom who doesn't have time to play with them. So that is why you hear growling. I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So our next art is by Tara TJ and it's Winter and Celine playing tea in their little fort, also from this scene. And again, it's just, you guys, it's just so cute. It's so adorable. I love that they're like, just enjoying each other's company and being kids together, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's also just like, it's kind of bittersweet seeing scenes like this Mm -hmm. and knowing what happens. And knowing what could have been. What could have been exactly like that, that kind of like Mr. Nostalgia almost of this friendship that was so strong and Mm -hmm. that Cinder doesn't have any memory of. And poor Winter does, so she doesn't have any way to, like, recapture that. And, you know, I'm an adult. I've been on the planet a while. 
And I remember friendships from when I was a child and they do feel kind of different than when you're a grown up. And I remember like, you know, there's some people you meet and you like instantly connect. And well, I, I know that they're like family members, but like I have a cousin, I have lost well, several cousins, but like one of them I'm super close to. And she grew up in California and I grew up in Illinois. Like we only saw each other once a year for like two weeks, but yeah. she's one of the people I'm closest to in the world. And so I, I understand like having that kind of a bond that starts when you're so young. And I just feel terrible that it was ripped away from both of them at such a young age. And I have a, a unique perspective because uh, my mom is a Methodist minister. Um, she's retired now, but in the Methodist church, they move you around every few years. And mm-hmm. so I have all of these friends that I have really strong memories of from like kindergarten and first grade and second grade that we moved away when I was like six or seven And I haven't seen them since because it was two states away and there was like no good way to keep in touch at that point. And Mm -hmm. so sometimes I like I have these really strong memories of these these little girls that I was friends with. And I have that that kind of wondering sometimes, like, do they remember me at all? Because that that question of like, I remember them because I'm the one who moved away. So, of course, I have those memories. But for them, I was just the girl who was there for two years and then left. And we were really young. So, like, I don't know what kind of impression I made on them at all. That's a good point. And it's just kind of a weird thing to think about with all these other people existing in the world that you shared time with. Yeah. I remember I had a friend that moved away when I was in junior high and we wrote letters to each other. Like actual letters that you put a stamp on and put in the mail. (laughs) And I don't know what happened. I don't remember why we stopped writing letters. I think it probably just faded out. But I I definitely remember a time when I would get excited thinking like, oh, did I get a letter from Jalana today? Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Um, But I, I don't know, looking at this picture and looking at the first picture with Winter and Celine, I just, it breaks my heart a little bit that they didn't get to keep that, um, that bond and and hopefully in the future maybe they'll yeah. reconnect but we don't we don't get to know that yet because we're spoiler free it's true we're so. spoiler free so <sighs> which is hard sometimes very hard no idea. i have things i want to <laughs> say that i can't say because story of my life yeah no, i believe 100 <laughs> pretty much every time marissa comes on i'm just like you guys it's marissa she gets to spoil if she wants right exactly I'm like, she wrote I'm it. Like, she I'm probably not gonna doesn't <laughs> remember like. Like I know the podcast is spoiler free, but I'm not censoring Marissa. It's too <laughs> exactly. big of an opportunity to pass up, so yeah. we'll just keep it. <laughs> so last week, Patreon members got to vote on chapter titles, uh, but they're not chapters. So I don't know why I keep calling them that. <laughs> Pages 134 to 140 is Castle by Halsey, and pages 140 to 146 is Unpretty by TLC. Um, And now chapter discussion, and fair warning everyone, this is probably going to be a long one, right? Like there's a lot. There's a lot that happens. This is some pretty hefty, important stuff. It is also like very dark, so yes. maybe maybe grab like your dog or a fluffy blanket or a whiskey, like whatever you need <laughs> to take the edge off. 
So, so I have my I have my copy of Ferris <laughs> sitting here next to me on the desk, and um, we have a, a friend staying with us for a wedding this weekend. And when my computer was being slow, I was having my husband come in, and the friend came in too, and she's not familiar with the series, but she saw my copy of Ferris, and she's like, "That's creepy," because it's you know the veiled. <laughs> figure with the headdress and I was like yeah uh-huh. uh so the people who live on the moon and she just stopped me and she's like what she's like you know a book is good when it starts with that when it starts with yeah so the people, the who, people live who live on, on the, the moon, moon. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, that's so funny but she's right like the cover of this book is at least the one that I have I have the original cover um yeah it's, it's um, ch- chilling it is creepy yeah. can you imagine like looking at that over a video call, like on a Zoom conference. And that's what Everett was saying to her in our last chapters was that like people only see a veil of you. It's not the same thing. Like mm-hmm. it's not comforting to look at. Yeah. 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 I have and that's what, that that's what happened last week. And um, last week we also got to see, we got to see Lavana as a queen, acting as queen and being like, you guys, I'm so good at this. Like, <laughs> Yeah. And she is yeah. in a lot of ways. She's got yeah. really good instincts. She cares a lot about her people and her land. Um, got a whole point I'm going to get to later when it's a little bit more relevant. <laughs> uh, right? Like, I have thoughts about this. Like, she is a good leader, but like, you know, being a good leader doesn't necessarily mean that you're a good person or that you have the exactly. best intentions. Yeah. But, you know, we saw that her parents and Channery were both like neglectful and absentee leaders. And she's extremely involved, yeah, as involved cares. as she could possibly be. Like, yes. And she's invested and she has ideas and opinions. And yeah, she's definitely a better queen than Channery. Um. If for no other reason than because she's an actual queen and she's mm-hmm. not just like letting her advisors do all the work so she can throw parties and wear pretty dresses. Yeah. We kind of start off in a really strange way. It starts off that Lavana has been having this kind of tiny, horrible, guilty fantasy about what if Celine wasn't there anymore, then she could be the real queen. Yeah. What if Celine had never been born? Or like what just, if she died? What? She what could died? choke. She she could choke. She could drown. She could fall. She's a child. They're they're fragile. Yeah. And she feels really bad at first. She's like, "Ugh, this is horrible. This is disgusting. I can't believe I feel like this." Uh, but it doesn't last long. Now she's starting to think like in a more violent way, and then she justifies all of these thoughts because she's like, "Well, I would be a better queen than Celine." Nobody cares about Luna the way that I do. Mm-hmm. And it's not mean. It's just it's just practical that if Celine's not there, I'd be a better queen. So it's practical to just kind of, you know, get rid of her. Yeah. And this yeah, is no like, biggie. <laughs> this is th- here's my whole thing with Lavana. She wants such specific things and she could have them if she would go about getting them in slightly different ways. Mm -hmm. Like you want to be the true queen of Luna. Okay. Don't kill your niece. For lack of a better term, groom your niece. I was going to say the same thing. Take her under your wing. She's three. Take her into the council room with her. Take her into the throne room with you. 
teach her, like become the person she's dependent on. Teach her how to think, teach her how to, you know, react to people and interact with people and make her into a miniature version of you. And then when she takes the throne at 13, you will actually still be the person behind the throne. You'll be the one she comes to. You'll be like a puppet. She'll be your puppet. Exactly. Yeah. Like do that. Don't get rid of her. Use her. This is something that I talked about on an episode with Amanda from Fictional Hangover Podcast was she goes about things in such a, a way that makes it difficult to be on her side, like with Everett. Like if she had shown Everett true friendship and just been there for him, especially after Winter was born and just waited a few years, it's possible that he could have grown to have an affection from her for her that was genuine because well, she had been a good friend and she had been there for him. And instead she's like, I'm going to rape you. And imitate your wife and make it impossible for yep. you to separate your feelings and have your true feelings. Yeah, it's exactly the same thing. And I think, like, we see it at points in this book that he could genuinely care for her and genuinely have those feelings. But, and I know that it's a trauma response, but she is so afraid of not being loved that she doesn't give people a chance to love her. And there's always something holding it back. Yeah. Yeah. Like Everett, I think every time every time Everett sort of starts to feel something for her, she does or says something that holds him back. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's and this this particular insight into Lavana, this is the type of Lavana that we see in the Lunar Chronicles. So far, especially in the beginning of Ferris, she was just this like misunderstood, very lonely and neglected child. And very slowly we've started to see her take matters into her own hands, but in the darkest possible way. Yeah. And this is just another way for her to to take control. But you know, like you said, she didn't do it in a way that would have been beneficial she did it in a way that would have been quick and easy and the worst part about that is that she thinks of it as quick and easy committing murder should never be an easy thing to do especially of a child yeah that's why it's illegal yeah right (laughs) and like this paragraph about like she didn't want to cause Celine pain she only wanted her dead like okay I mean I guess that's not as bad as you could be but like still it's like the it's like the brooklyn 99 cool Cool motive motive still still murder murder. yes yeah yes (laughs) i love i love brooklyn 99 for that very reason um (laughs) because it's like okay i can acknowledge that something is like intricate and well thought out and well planned but it's it's still bad yes um but once again lavana is kind of hooked on her concept of fate and meant to be, you know, like mm-hmm. when Everett's wife died, she was like, that that's the universe saying that he's single, we can be together now. That's meant to be. When Channery died of regolith poisoning, Lavana was like, that's the universe saying I meant to be the true queen. And here she has it again. Everything has lined up today. 
Everett's going to be gone. Winter's going to be at the doctor. There's a new nanny who's going to be with Celine that nobody knows or trusts or has developed a relationship with yet. It's fate. Everything is lining up perfectly. That must mean that the universe wants her to kill Celine. I mean, if you start looking for fate and symbols, you can justify anything. Mm -hmm. You can find it anywhere. I agree. So it's Celine's third birthday party, which is the picture that we got to see. And it was the happy little family. And I loved it so much. And um, this is kind of a moment like what you were saying, where we get a bigger insight into like the way that Lavana thinks, because she's kind of looking at her niece and she's saying that she's not going to force her to live through the trauma, like, like what Channery did to her. Instead, she's going to, she's going to make it go away. Yeah. I would be really interested in having a conversation with like a child psychologist or like a trauma therapist mm -hmm. reading this book and then talking about Lavana because so much of, of who she is and so much of what she is, is grown out of the response to the trauma that she suffered as a child, which does not excuse any of her actions, but it does explain them in a very fascinating way. I agree. I think that's fair. And I also think that, I think that, I know there's like a big concept of nature versus nurture. And um, I don't, I don't like you know, factual, I don't like limiting statements of like, it always is like this, or everyone is like this. But there is something to be said for how trauma can affect you and how growing up in certain environments can sort of mold your personality. Um, and and really change the way that you look at the world, the way that you think about the world and the way that you think about your position in the world. And I think, you know, the more we see of Lavana's thought process, the more that that's really evident for us as the reader. Yeah. And I think it's really important to remember, Marissa did a really smart thing in, in world building that she has set up prior to this point, talking about like, you're not allowed to use your lunar gift on children under a certain age because it damages their brain. It damages the neural pathways that are, are formed. And we see that Channery just completely disregarded that for like most of Lavana's childhood. And so you have to ask that question of how much of Lavana's twistedness is something she would always have had and how much of it is a result of that mental abuse that she was put through as a child and that damage that she suffered at the hands of her sister. You know, I, I also think that as getting reader privilege and knowing the impact that the use of the gift can have on a, a child. I also think that it shows us how little care they put into looking after Lavana as a child. Oh yeah. Because no one was there to protect her from her sister. And not that I necessarily think that you should look for those things in family dynamics. Cause I'm really close with all of my sisters, but Leaving a, a, a small child alone with another small child when they have nannies, I mean, I don't know. It feels, um, I don't know. I feel like somebody should have reined Channery in, I guess. Oh, for sure somebody should have. But we've seen that's not really how lunars operate. They're not about, no. you know, that 
close-knit familial unit. That's why Everett and Soul and Winter were so unusual. And, and you know, what I do love, though, is that, not that Channery is dead, but, like, Channery is gone, so Celine is an orphan because we never found out who her father was. But Everett has so easily welcomed her into their little tiny family. And Winter and Celine play all the time, and Everett kind of looks out for her, and Jacin is also there. And, you know, it's it's kind of nice that even though Celine doesn't have her parents, she has these other people to look out for her and take care of her besides the nannies. Because... At this point, she's being raised by nannies. She doesn't have a mom. Lavana hasn't stepped in and taken any responsibility for her in a nurturing way or affectionate way. It's not like she has someone who, you know, it's not like she has a um, a figure from a family like that. She just has the nanny. So it's nice that at least Everett is trying to, I don't, I don't know, fill that void maybe or just include her. That kind of warm childhood experience. Absolutely. And it's also yeah. it's a little heartbreaking thinking about it, like looking at what Lavana wants more than anything else is to be a mother, is to have that loving family. And it's right there. She could have it if she would she actually just, let herself have it. She just can't seem to connect with Winter. You know, and I don't get that because we're I mean, the book is really short. You know, we basically get these tiny little insights every couple of years as to what's going on in Lavana's life. But from our last chapter, all it said was that, like, Lavana never seemed to connect with Winter. And it's like, but did we ever see you try? Right. You know? And again, it's that attitude of, like, if you try, you might fail. And so it's better to, like fail on your own terms by not putting the effort in. There's an educational psychology term for that that I don't remember because I took educational psychology a decade ago <laughs> and didn't pursue it past one class in college. Um, but there, there is a term for that, for setting yourself up for a controlled failure so that but through lack of effort so that you don't fail when you actually do try. And I feel like that that's what Lavana does. I don't know what the technical term is, but she's it's self-sabotage yeah. is the only thing yeah. I could call it. Um, very, very much so. She has a very self-sabotage outlook on life and personality yeah. in general. So we we transition ahead a little bit. Winter and Celine made a fort, which is what we got to see in our fan art. And... I love these little insights into their friendship. Like, I think it's just, it's so cute. And like I said, it makes me sad that, that it was stolen from them. It's just a sweet little scene. And like, there's this blanket that they've used for the fort that has apple blossoms on it. And Lavana's like, I've never seen that before. And it definitely isn't lunar. And so that means no. that Everett, that Soul made it and Everett kept it. And, and he's never had it this whole time, it. and she didn't notice it. And then she finds a way to blame him for that. Yeah. Like, I've never seen this before. Therefore, my husband has kept a secret from me. Yeah. And that is such a fascinating leap, especially if you're, like, really caught up in reading. Because if you're caught up in reading, you might not be thinking critically about what you're reading. So you're going to believe Lavana's side of things. She is, like, the definition of an unreliable narrator. 
But that's what we're here for on the podcast. Exactly. Usually too quickly, but I get to sit here and digest every little tiny detail <laughs> because mm-hmm. I have the time. <laughs> no, I completely agree. And to a certain extent, like I get why Lavana might feel that way because she's still so sensitive to solstice. Um, but at the same time, it's like, how have you never seen this blanket before? This is your husband and you're in his room. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't know. It's weird to me that that she would eat. It, the, the main takeaway, I think, from that, the important takeaway, besides that she you know, puts a lot of blame and emphasis on Everett and is still very jealous of a ghost, she doesn't even know the belongings that her husband has in his personal space. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, okay, I... My husband's office is a mess. You know, if he told me to go grab a paper, it would take me a second to find it. But, like, I know what, like, his favorite sweater is and stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. After today, all of Luna is going to belong to Lavana, And she has a moment, a very human moment, where she thinks, Winter's in the fort with Celine. I could kill Winter too, but she doesn't because it would make Everett sad. Yeah. Oh, it always comes back to Everett, right? Yeah. And for me, it's not even that it would make Everett sad. It's that she remembers how empty he was after his wife died and she doesn't want to deal with that again. That's true. That's true. Like it's not even a consideration of his emotional state. It's always about her. It's how she would have to handle what happens yeah. to him if Winter dies, not, like, what happens to him if Winter dies. Exactly. I feel like I'm not as articulate sometimes in what I'm trying to say, but I know what it means. Yes. <laughs> so the new nanny shows up and talks to the queen, and Lavana says that she's not the queen. And I feel like... I feel like it's important that she says that, that she takes a moment to say, um, I am not the queen. I am merely keeping watch over the throne until my niece is older. I feel like she, for some reason in that moment, decided to say the one thing she knows she's supposed to say when people call her the queen, because Mm -hmm. she's never going to have to say it again. Yeah, exactly. Like, if anybody overhears me in this moment, I am giving the line that I'm supposed to. Look how aware I am. Look how conscientious I am. Exactly. Yeah. So this is her plan. She's going to take Winter to the doctor. The nanny usually does that, or the doctor will come to her because she's a princess. But for the sake of her plan, Lavana is going to take Winter to the doctor and then go home after the appointment. And Celine is going to be left here to play with the nanny, a new nanny that no one knows. And she's going to, to give her a candle and she's going to light the candle and it's going to burn down the playhouse. Basically. That's like, that's her plan. That's the goal. Mm -hmm. It'll be dark under that blanket. So you will want this candle to see by Set it out of the way so the princess doesn't accidentally burn herself near the edge of the playhouse, under that blanket, the one with the apple blossoms. 
You will stay with the girl until you both fall asleep. You are already tired. It will not take long. This is so strange to me. Like, uh-huh, of all of the ways that you could kill a child, like, picking this one, especially because it's going to raise questions and concerns because fire is so feared on Luna, and that's been established through Lavana's own accident. And, like... Well, and they and they talk about, like, the air, mm-hmm. right? The smoke and the air. It's so interesting to me that this is what she chose. It's so, it also kind of feels like if you want it to, I'm not a murderer, you guys, but like if you want it to look like an accident, are there easier accidents that you could set up? She's yes. like a very tiny child. Yes. Uh, we, right? I was having this conversation with somebody like a month ago. I don't remember who, uh, but it was, it was spurred by somebody on the internet at some point. Um, talking about how ridiculous the attempted murder of Harry Potter by Voldemort is. Like, <laughs> like babies are really easy to kill, dude. Like, why are you trying a spell? Just, like, put a pillow over it. Again, I'm also not a murderer. I want to be very clear about that. No, there's um, there's a, uh, a comic strip, and Voldemort has an assistant named Kevin. Yes. And Kevin does stuff like that. Like, every time Voldemort comes up with, like, a crazy plan, Kevin is like, why don't you just do this? Like, one of them is, like, all the horcruxes, and Kevin is like, Jude, just do it on a grain of rice and throw it in the ocean. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, and then, like, the baby one, he's like, it's a baby, it's and a you baby. killed its parents. Just walk away and give it a day or two. Like. You know, yeah, like, no, I completely agree. It's the same thing. Yeah, so, so yeah, you're looking at this elaborate plan of Lavana's and for all that she's like, well, I won't let the child suffer. Death by burning, burning is suffering is a very painful death. Not that I've personally experienced it, of course, but like knowing accounts from people who have survived being burned over massive portions of their body, like it's incredibly painful. It's incredibly painful. Like, this is not a mercy. Killing someone with fire is not a mercy. No, this isn't, like, a, a euthanized kindness no. type of thing. No. And, and you know, again, it's weird that she chose this method because, like we said, there, there could have been, like, easier ways that could have been better explained, I guess. I don't know. I'm trying – like, we saw her have that moment in the very beginning where she's, like – you know, she could have choked or drowned or, or fallen. And it's like, yeah, all of, of those like, would be way simpler exactly. and cause way less questions. Like yeah. give her a piece of candy that's too big when nobody's looking and then just don't Heimlich maneuver her. Keep a, keep a cage door open, you know, keep a door open off a ledge and pretend you weren't paying attention and she just falls right off. Like, yeah. I'm obviously not trying to, you know, I don't want people to listen and be like, damn, Cassie <laughs> and Bethany are like really dark. Like, no, we're not dark. But like, it's important, I think, to acknowledge that this plan of hers, it's so it, it invites so many questions. And the simplest plan would have been much easier, much more believable. And I just don't think anybody would have questioned it. Yeah, exactly. Like she chose something that was, of course, going to invite suspicion and invite questions. And it leaves her a way to survive, which we as the reader know that she does because she grows up to be Cinder. But like it leaves her a way to survive. Yeah, it's not like. It's not foolproof. When you, okay, again, 
can't stress enough that I'm not a murderer. But if right? you want, if you want to kill somebody, you need to do it in a way where you personally are the one verifying that that person is dead by like yeah. putting distance between yourself and the act. So like it's fire and there's another doctor who's going to check if the person's dead. It's again, Voldemort with Harry Potter. Like, yeah. Yeah. Send one of your minions to go see if he's dead. Why don't you go see if he's dead? Like think how yeah. much different it gives somebody an opportunity. Have been. It's a, um, it's that concept that like two people can keep a secret if one of them is already dead. Yeah. You cannot leave everything up to another person. You can't leave everything up to chance. Like if you're this person, if you're, if you're Lavana and you're committing murder to keep your, your control of the throne, then you better put all your effort into it. Like do it yourself. Be there when the life leaves the child. I can't stress enough that I'm not a murderer or a psychopath. (laughs) No, I know. I completely agree. Cause it's hard to talk about this stuff without, um, without delving into that that side of ourselves. And I have seen Brooklyn Nine-Nine, so I've gotten a little bit more comfortable with acknowledging that like it's okay to understand how thought processes work and yeah. just be very clear cl- like be very clear that my intentions are neutral. <laughs> but yeah. um so this is this is her plan. She leaves with winter and now all she has to do is wait. And she waits for over an hour. They're at the doctor's office and she realizes she still has the matches. So she throws them in the trash can at the office, at the doctor's office. And a servant runs in the room, says Selene is in danger. And the doctor looks at Lavana, and Lavana's like, go, 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 go take care of the princess. And, you know, cause she's playing the concerned auntie. Yeah, of um, course. And it, Again, it's her being like, this is what I need to look like. This is what I'm supposed to react like. This is how I'm supposed to behave. Yeah, there's this disconnect. Yes. She's going through the motions and like play acting her response instead of having a genuine response, obviously, because she, you know, knew this was happening. Yeah. And so that's what she does. She tells the doctor to go. She takes Winter and leaves her shoes behind because they're in such a hurry. She doesn't want to carry Winter. Again, this is like a motherhood thing. Yeah. You know, you would carry her. You would pick the child up and just run. But Lavana can't run because she's a queen and she doesn't want to carry Winter. Yeah, I love that progression of that sentence. It's princesses did not run. Future queens did not run. I love that. Because it shows, like, Ugh, I everything love that. is so calculated about this whole thing. Everything she's doing is so calculated. Absolutely. No, that's a perfect line. And it's it's perfectly – it perfectly mirrors what Lavana's goal was and how she thinks she's already got there. She didn't run as a princess and she's about to be a queen, so she's not going to run now. Mm-hmm. And at that moment where she's like, princesses don't run and neither do future queens. Yeah. Like it's her aha moment. It's it's her ah. It's working. My plan is falling into place. So there's smoke and screaming, and people are crowded in the corridor, and it's just a complete mess of chaos. Everett's there, and he's so happy to see Winter because he thought Winter might be in there with Celine, and tells Winter and Lavana, "Don't look. It's awful." Calls Lavana sweetheart in public. 
which he never does. So he must be really shaken up by this. But she's like upset about it, which is weird to me. Yeah, I was going to say that that's strange. Like, it... Because, again, it's what she wants. He's doing what she wants, and then she's getting mad at him for it. It it comes back to that, like, that not letting herself have what she wants. But I think it's because, too, like, he's... The reason he's, he's giving her the affection that she's always wanted is because he's upset about the death of a child. Yeah, that's not fair. because he's overwhelmed with his love for Lavana. Is that make it sense? It has to be about her. Yeah, exactly. And right. in this like, moment, it didn't it's come not. it didn't come from the place that Lavana wanted it to come from, so it's not it's not good enough. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I it does yeah. exactly. It does entirely. But she goes in and she sees the destruction. Mm-hmm. The, the smoke, the ruin. Dr. Elliot is like running in to go see if if the everybody's dead. Yeah. Oh, it's and the scene with Winter is heartbreaking where she's like asking what happened to Celine? Where's Celine? You know, this tiny child and like how do you explain this? She's so confused. And how yeah. do you explain that to a child? They were playing together like an hour ago. She doesn't understand. You know, and Everett is, I think Everett is such a a good man, a good human in this moment, trying to care for his daughter, trying to protect Lavana. He pulls her away multiple times. Mm -hmm. Um, But, and there's one moment, there's one moment with Lavana. Where she kind of feels bad for what she did. The sight of it was a thousand times more terrifying than her imagine had given her. And she kind of feels bad about it. But not for long. Yeah, it goes away real quick. And the part I hate, I feel like she ruined it. She had all this good behavior where she was playing the concerned auntie, the concerned stepmom really well. And then she says... Yes, a horrible accident. And now you understand this means I will be the queen. Yeah, it's a misstep because that is not what you would legitimately be thinking about in this moment. No, the only thing she should have said is, yes, a horrible accident. Let the queen part come later. And then you're like, oh, no, I didn't even realize that. God, now I have to be queen. This is so upsetting. Like, exactly. You know, exactly. (laughs) You played it the wrong way. She plays her hand here and it it comes back to bite her in the next section it does and again Everett is like really sweet to her right here he like pulls her close and he kisses the top of her head and he's like don't worry about being queen right now like don't think about it and she's like nope I'm the queen bitches (laughs) yes the guilt and (laughs) and the memory of that awful smell might stay with her forever but she was the queen Oh, chilling, the chilling, chilling. Ends Levana just by is... the means. Ugh. Ugh, Levana. Yeah. I can't with her. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's talk about your chapter song title. Yeah, so if you haven't listened to any of my episodes before, I don't music very well. <laughs> um, so I've now, it's now a thing. It's now like I'm just leaning into it. Um, and yeah, if it's you, I expect there to yeah. be some kind of um, musical. <laughs> from here on out, anytime you ask me back, 
my song titles will always be exclusively songs from musical theater. <laughs> I I'm love just it. steering into it. Um, so I went very literal with this one and I did a light my candle from rent purely for the title, not for the lyrics at all or the like context <laughs> of the song, but like right. just the literal title, light my candle. That's what I went with. It works. I like it. <laughs> I'm trying to think if any of the lyrics would work. Um, I don't know. None are coming no, to mind. No, because all the lyrics that are coming to my mind are the ones about like being a drug addict. That's what I was gonna say. Which is <laughs> not applicable to this uh, chapter uh, in this book. Or the the refrain of like you look familiar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh and God, I just had a horrible thought. Oh, I just had a horrible God. thought about Celine. Like you look familiar, like your dead mom. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. God, that's horrible. Ugh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. Um. So I chose "Getting Away with Murder" by Papa Roach. Okay. Also One, very on the nose, but yeah. Right. <laughs> One, the title is a giveaway, but the lyrics actually do line up. Somewhere beyond happiness and sadness, I need to calculate what creates my own madness and I'm addicted to your punishment. I feel irrational, so confrontational. To tell the truth, I am getting away with murder. Yeah. Yeah. Especially the part where it says like needing to calculate and being in control of your own madness and being the master of your own disaster. Like, yeah, just... As soon as I finished reading this, I was like scrolling through my phone, like trying to think of a good one. Um, and I just, I got to that part of my phone, the P, I got to the P part of my phone. And I was like, yeah, this, this works. This is on the nose, but it works. So Patreon members will get to vote for chapter titles on Patreon. And let's talk about our chapter quotes. Yeah. So I chose, unlike Channery, she would be merciful. She would not force the child to then go on living. Um, both because it's a line and also just because it's a really, really strong insight into Lavana herself. Like, mm-hmm. she's not aware of it, but she has so much self-loathing for the fact that she survived this accident when she was a child and for what she looks like and for the pain that she's in. Mm-hmm. And it I like agree. defines everything about her in ways that she's not actually aware of. And in ways that I don't think she could ever identify. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the exact same reason I chose mine. The guilt and the horror and the memory of that awful smell might stay with her forever, but she was the queen. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Lavana, her thought process is very intriguing, and it always comes back to what she wants. Even if it's horrible, even if she feels guilty, it's not enough. It's never enough. and It, it never overshadows what she's done. Yeah, the ends for her will always justify the means. 
Hi, this is Leah Stuhler, creator and host of YA Book Chat Podcast. If you love reading young adult books and chatting about them with your friends, then head on over to my podcast and take a listen. Each episode, my guests and I chat about a different YA book. We start spoiler-free and then head into our spoiler section where we dive into the mysteries of each book. And we do it with laughs and fun along the way. You can listen to YA Book Chat on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and wherever you get your podcast. And now back to the show. So the second half. So Lavana has to tell everyone that Selene is dead and that she's going to lift the country from this sorrow. And Selene's memory will be eclipsed by her great reign as queen. Yeah, it's chilling. It's, it's like when it's like when Solstice died, and instead of being like, "Oh no, someone died," she's like, "I'm gonna be a better wife. I'm gonna be a better mother. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna make my glamour so I'm even prettier." Yeah, yeah. She has Everett, and she has her crown, and the only thing she's missing is an heir because Winter can't be queen, so she needs an heir for the throne. And again, kind of playing into this fate discussion that we were having earlier, she's like, I will have a child because I am meant to be queen. Therefore, I am meant to have an heir. Therefore, I will have an heir. You would also think that part of Lavana wouldn't want an heir because that heir could replace her much in the way that she replaced Celine and Channery. But... But you can't be a great queen... Without a successor. Right. And that's the hard part, right? Because she can't be queen forever. She doesn't live forever. Right. Although if she could, she would. So, Lavana becomes absolutely obsessed with being the perfect queen. The best queen possible. She just throws everything she has into being queen. And she thinks... Okay, well, if I'm going to be a good queen, I need to have an heir. Ooh, bonus points. If I have a child, Everett's going to love me more than Solstice because Solstice won't be the only one that gave him the kid. It's so messed up. This woman. And like you and I were talking about, the fire, not a good call. It raises way too many questions. And so there's so many questions. This scene with Everett is like, Oh my God, it's horrible. Because he's he starts to ask those questions. He's like, hey, um, why did you take Winter? Which again, this was a misstep on her part. Like, yep. let Winter go 100%. to her doctor's appointment, make sure that she's there, and then slip out to the nursery and make sure that nobody knows that you were there. I think that her taking Winter to the doctor is her cover. Yeah, it's her alibi, but, like... Right. Alibi, yeah. But it's something unusual. It's something out of the ordinary. Well, because she could have just as easily, like, scheduled a meeting with Sybil in the cabinet for the exact same time, and then she would have a room full of people. I think the other part of it is... The other part is that perhaps if someone else had Winter, it would be too easy for Winter to accidentally be in the playhouse at the same time, maybe? I don't know. I don't think that that was her consideration. I think she was just like wanting to establish like that firm alibi. Like this is where I was. 
but plus every, then she gets to be there when they call the doctor because she's exactly, already with she's the already doctor. there so it's like yeah. i mean it's like a classic thing with um with arsonists specifically but lots of times arsonists or or like mentally unsound criminals will hang around to watch what they have created the destruction like they need yeah. to see the destruction that they've created so i feel like yeah she was setting herself up to be in a position for that which again was unnecessary because she's the queen and if the heir is in an accident like she's going to be called to the scene exactly and and like we talked about that this is what it leads to there are rumors and gossip flying everywhere and it does get back to Everett. And Everett really does take it into consideration. Why well, on earth would she take Celine? Why would she yeah. take Winter? And I'm sure when he hears that, he thinks immediately back to the comment that she made that he didn't think anything of at the time. But now in hindsight, now she, that comment yeah. of, oh, now I'm queen. And, and that's because, again, that's what she said. She said, yes, a horrible accident. And now you understand this means I will be the queen. Right. Like that should not have been the her fact, response. After the fact, yeah. he's gonna sit there and be like, mm. Mm. It's almost like it's almost like those words are haunting him. They're like hovering over him and he knows. Like yeah. it, it was almost like his um he he doesn't want to believe that it's true, but with that kind of detail, how could he not? And then he's immediately like, Nope, sorry, I don't know what I was thinking. Just ignore me. I'm tired. Yeah. You know, but I feel like that doubt is always going to be there. Like it's always going to be there now because he knows in his heart of hearts, he knows if he asks himself the question, like, is this something Levana is capable of? He yes. knows the answer is yes. He's not going to like the answer. Yeah. My, my other thing is like, she gets very defensive, but at the same time, I feel like someone, if, if, even if I was innocent, if someone accused me of murder, I would also get defensive. So I don't necessarily know that that's another tell of hers, but right, it's what yeah. she gets defensive of. She gets defensive of taking Winter to the doctor. Also, She's again, my daughter. I hardly ever get to spend time with her. Why shouldn't I take her to her appointments? She and it's like, be... Lavana, if you've, if you've never taken her to her appointments before, you're going to need right. a reason for taking her now. She needed to have more forethought in this yeah. because she needed to start taking Winter to her appointments like for a months few ago. months. So. And then... And then when Everett says why, she could be like, well, I never get to spend any time with her. And this is like a motherly thing. I want us to bond. So, you know, a, a real mom, Solstice wouldn't let a nanny do it. So why would I let her do it? And then by this point, it's like, well, of course, Lavana took her to her appointment. It's not suspicious at all because she always does that. Exactly. It's been an established part of their relationship. We and instead, it's like established patterns and yes. repetition. I'm not a murderer. I know <laughs> we we cannot stress that enough that we are wholesome, innocent people. <laughs> we might find crime, crime interesting, but I promise. <laughs> I don't even jaywalk. <laughs> I live in a very small town. I jaywalk all the time. Um. Oh, that's fair. When I was living at home in, in Illinois, I definitely jaywalked a lot, uh, but I, I haven't since moving down here because they don't really have sidewalks and people drive like crazy. So yeah, I'm always like hyper aware, <laughs> but 
Lavana has something else to worry about. Everett kind of shrugs it off, and Lavana's like, you know what? Let them think I'm guilty. Who cares? There's something else I have to worry about because there's another rumor. There's two rumors. One is that Lavana killed Celine, and the other rumor is that Celine survived. Yeah, and I love I love how telling it is which one of these bothers her more. Because it's right? like people say, Oh, you killed your niece. What are they gonna do about it? They don't have any proof. And she's still the queen. It's not gonna change that. And nobody's gonna dare like stand up to her and accuse her to her face. That's literally what she says. She says let them think she was guilty. Let them accuse her behind closed doors. As the Queen of Luna and the only royal descendant of the Blackburn bloodline, no one would dare accuse her to her face. Yeah. She's literally like, I don't care. I'm queen. That's fine. The real danger What matters is... more is that she might still be out there. Exactly. If she's still alive, then we have a problem. Yes. It's just and so here, telling. It's so telling. Another part that's telling. I... Cannot stress enough that I'm not a bad person. Um, I love this scene with Sybil. Oh, yeah. Mm Lavana and Sybil are, like, thick as thieves. Like, she has found her person in the world. Because Sybil has a very similar thought process. And Sybil might be the most loyal person to Lavana to ever exist. Yeah, because... Not to the crown. No, Not to Luna. To Lavana herself. Yeah, and And it's like... It's it's yeah. her whole attitude with this is like I don't care what you did, you did what you had to yep. do. You did what you had She's to like, do. And exactly, I'll you, you did what you had to do. Now, what do we got to do to keep our cover? Yeah, exactly. And you know what? If she had gone to Sybil, I think Sybil could have helped her get away with it a lot better. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Sybil has. <sighs> Sybil has a very, like, strategic mindset on the world, and I think that Sybil would never have let her leave so many open holes in her plan to invite this many questions, you know? No, not at all. Yeah. So, they're interviewing Dr. Elliot, and she's like, look, there's people saying Celine survived. If she survived, obviously, I should know about it. Because I'm the queen. And the reason it's just me and you and Sybil is because we're buddy-buddy. We're chum. But also, I don't need anybody gossiping any more than they already are. And she does. So. She she plays this well because she says to uh Dr. Elliot, like, listen, if my niece is alive, then I need to know because she's the rightful heir to the throne. And if she's alive, we need to reinstate her to her throne. Because I am just holding the throne right now out of obligation because there's no one else. But of course, if my niece was alive, I would step down. Again, she's playing the part, but at the wrong time. It's too late now for those games. Yeah. The the time that she really needed to not say anything is when she was talking to Everett. The time that she needed to wear this facade where she doesn't care about being queen was when she was talking to Everett right after the fire. Or she needed in the like midst of the fire to run in and be like, if there's any sign she's still alive, get her to the med bay. Like be yeah. super involved, like because then if there's that faint heartbeat and she's taken, it's gonna be real easy to have somebody like Sybil slip in when this child is like in a hospital bed. And just real quick, like 
and nobody would nobody would doubt anything about it. No, they could have just like let Sybil sneak in, suffocate her, said that she died from the smoke inhalation, and it would have been done and over. And instead, Lavana just left too many doors open. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So she's having this conversation. She says that, you know, she believes the doctor. She's not in trouble. They just want to know what really happened. And the doctor is like, I couldn't save her. There was a heartbeat, really, really faint, but it stopped and she died. And the heartbeat stopped in the nursery. And she's like, well, can anyone vouch for you? Oh, um, yeah, some, someone can vouch for me. Uh, Dr. Logan Tanner. Okay, well, where's he at? Well, I'm the best doctor ever. That's not what I asked. Yeah. Well, I can, he's not, he's not going to give you any more information than I already have. That's not what I asked. Mm -hmm. And we already know. That Dr. Logan Tanner was how she got to Earth is the one who smuggled Selene down to Earth. So, like, we yep. already know, having read everything we've read before in the series, right? How this all went down. We know who was involved in getting Cinder off the planet, off of of the moon, and down to the planet and taken care of. So, it's really interesting to see that from this perspective. How involved do we think Dr. Elliot was? Do we think that she really thought Celine was dead and that she didn't know what was going on and that she had no idea? Or do we think that she was in on it with Doc? Like, do we think that she took the child back and Dr. Tanner was like, okay, um, she's still alive and I can save her, but I'm pretty sure the queen did this. And so they hatched a plan. Or do we think that Dr. Elliot is like completely oblivious, totally thinks Celine's dead, has no idea what's going on? Oh, no, I think she's in on it. I think she's in on it, too. Because I feel like this scene would read a lot differently if she wasn't aware that Celine had survived and been smuggled away. I agree. Especially with, like, her making the simple tiny mistakes that she makes, like, with her, like, saying saved instead of saving. Yeah. Like, like where it says there was no saving her. Okay, so that implies that she wasn't dead yet. Exactly. Like Right. Like, but if you had said there was no way to save her or I couldn't have saved her, now it's past tense, you know, or passive mm -hmm. past tense. So it was you know what I mean? Like she just she fumbles a couple of times in very innocent ways. And I think that's why Sybil and Lavana don't believe her either. Yeah. Cause they don't. They don't believe her. All due respect. There is no more pressing matter than if my niece, our future queen, is alive. If this is true, and you chose to keep this information from me, you understand that would be a high offense. It could be cause enough to have tried you as a to have you tried as a traitor to the crown. Lavana is playing all the hands in her basket, right yeah, here. Yeah, like is that's not a threat that you make if? Oh, yeah. Treason is death. Even here in the United States, here in the United States, even mm -hmm. if uh, even if the state that you live in doesn't have capital punishment, if you are committed and proven to have co committed treason, you will be hanged. It's just how it is. Yeah. And it's like that everywhere. And Lavana is definitely going to kill you. She's just murdered a three-year-old as far as she's concerned. Killing a doctor who committed treason, not that big of a de deal at all. Yeah. Especially because she'll have a legal excuse for it. I love 
Sybil, perhaps Dr. Elliot and I should have a more private conversation. Like, I'm going to torture the crap out of her. This is like, Sybil might be Lavana's soulmate. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yep. I think that the two of them are cut from the same cloth. And I think this is a perfect example of it because literally Sybil is like, you know, there's some shit I could do to get her to talk. Yeah. And it's like, it's not that I don't think Sybil is pursuing her own ends, but of she course. does. It's not the same as like Amory, where you feel like Amory definitely has his own agenda. And as long as it aligns with Alana, with, Lavana's, then he'll he'll be loyal. I feel like Sybil is just like, nope, whatever Lavana wants, I'm gonna make sure Lavana gets. I 100 percent agree. And I have I have some theories as to why. One, greatness recognizes greatness, right? Power mm-hmm. recognizes power. Sybil recognizes that Lavana is a good queen. Lavana puts her people first, sort sort of. Uh, she prioritizes, she knows how to make the tough decisions. Lavana is a good queen as far as Sybil is concerned. Lavana also brought Sybil up. Sybil yeah. was like 15th in the line for head thaumaturge, and Lavana promoted her to the top. That's not something you forget. Exactly. Above Amory, who her advisors wanted to promote, she still promoted Sybil. That's not something Sybil's going to forget. No. And I also feel like Sybil has a different, like, ending ambition like Amory wants mm-hmm. to be king I'm pretty sure that's established at some point like that's what he wants he wants to rule he wants to be the one in charge I don't feel like Sybil has that desire I think she wants to be the one with power um who the person in charge is kind of counting on there's it reminds me of a, a West Wing quote because uh, I love that tv show so everything reminds me of a West Wing quote <laughs> Um, but at one point the president is talking to his deputy chief of staff and he says, do you know what the difference is between you and me? And the president says, I want to be the guy. You want to be the guy the guy counts on. Yep. hundred percent. I agree. The feeling I get from Sybil, like she doesn't want to be in charge of right. the whole planet. Like she, she doesn't want to be queen. She just wants to be the person the queen relies on because that's a different kind of ultimate power. And she has, she has the queen's right hand ear. There's nothing Sybil could ask for that she wouldn't get. There's nothing Sybil could do or say that Lavana wouldn't believe her. If Sybil goes up and says, I think Amory is a traitor and we can't trust him and we need to get rid of him. Lavana is going to be like, well, make it done. Make it so. Go Mm -hmm. do it. I got you, girl. Like, and that is a very big kind of power. And Sybil is happy in that role. Sybil is very happy to be the queen's right-hand person. She doesn't need to be queen. She doesn't need to be the one making all the decisions and dealing with all the the bureaucracy that goes along with being a queen. She's perfectly happy being the queen's minion and just running errands and creating chaos behind the scenes. Running errands like torturing a doctor. Exactly. The fun errands. The fun errands. (laughs) And that's that's kind of where we end it. The the doctor is the one that they're going to try and blame the suspicion on. They're going to she's like, "Well, you know, we'll torture the doctor. What if we make it look like Dr. Elliot should have been a better doctor? Maybe it was her fault that Celine didn't survive." 
and that's what she's going to take care of. And they say, well, when we're done with that, we really need to go talk to this Dr. Tanner person and get his side of the story. But they can't because he disappeared. How do you disappear on the moon? I really need to know. You leave it. That's the only way you disappear on the moon. Isn't that pretty sus, Lavana? I, I think she knows that. Like, yeah, that alone would make me be like, oh, damn, she's alive. Right, yeah. Like, why else would he disappear? The only other thing, the only other reason you could justify him disappearing is that he found out what happened to Dr. Elliot and was like, I'm not about to die and get tortured or get blamed for something I didn't do. And so he left because he didn't want the aftermath. But it's that whole concept of like guilty parties run, innocent parties are are okay with like, yeah, let's get a lawyer, I'll answer whatever questions you have. Yeah. But yeah, so like I think I think with Lavanya, as soon as she finds out Dr. Tanner's gone, there's a part of her that knows at that point. Yep. And that's the end of our second section here. Yeah. So what was your chapter title for this one? Uh, so again, going just very literal with the chapter and not at all with the lyrics, I chose Dead Girl Walking from Heathers. Yes, and Hannah, one of my Patreon members, was really excited about that. That's like one of her favorite songs. Mm-hmm. So um, she was really excited to hear your your thought process on it. Again, like very literal just the fact that you have this you have this this child who's supposed to be dead but isn't dead and so in that sense of of dead girl walking but also within the context of the song it's very much a person singing about how i'm going to be dead therefore i might as well do whatever i want and i feel like if you think about like projecting to the end of the series no spoilers, but like you know, it's probably not going to end well for Lavana. Yeah, and so that sense of like, I'm going to do whatever I want to do while I have the chance to get away with it. Absolutely. So I chose "No Body, No Crime" by Taylor Swift, which was all I could think about the entire time I was reading this chapter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's literally about. A woman killing her husband because he's a bad person and everything lines up. She just so happened to not be at work that night. Um, And he got brand new trucks, like brand new tires on the truck and his mistress wouldn't be out. And, uh, you know, she has a boating license, so that's helpful. She's been cleaning houses her whole life, so she knows how to cover up a scene. And she's got a cover up. She's got a uh, an alibi and... They think she did it, but they just can't prove it. Because no body, no crime. Yep. I mean, that alone, like, the whole song doesn't necessarily fit, but they think she did it, but they just can't prove it. No body, no crime. That, that, I was like, yep, that's Lavana. I'm intrigued to know, like, what are the burial practices on the moon? Oh, that's a good question because, for like, Marissa. How, wouldn't wouldn't Lavana have unless they cremate their dead, which would make sense. 
they don't have a lot of real estate and it, I yeah. don't know how easy it would be to like dig up holes. So exactly. So it would make sense to cremate because otherwise, and it would have been really easy to give her like fake ashes. Exactly. Because otherwise like wouldn't the question become like, well, where is my niece's body? Right. Anyway, just, just a thought, just something to ponder. So it's very common in my culture to have what's called a green burial. Um, your body is listening to my dog scream. <laughs> I'm just going to have to let everybody listen to scamp. I'm sorry. Although he has a dad who knows I'm recording. So I'm kind of surprised that um, he's still barking. So I feel like I have a partner who should have taken care of that for me. Hmm. But whatever. <laughs> um so in, in my culture, it's very common to have a green burial, which is your body is wrapped in a biodegradable uh, shroud and you're sort of, you know, you basically become one with the earth. You could be buried in a forest or a field of daisies or whatever, but your body will decompose naturally and it'll, you know, go back into the earth and you'll become food for the earth and for all of the earth's belongings and things like that. So. That's something that I know people think is creepy because they're like, well, worms are going to eat your body. And it's like, well, I'm dead. Let the worms have some food exactly. and then they can feed the birds and then the birds can feed the the wolves and then the wolves can feed, you know, it's like the whole circle of life thing. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But I would be very interested to know if they don't cremate what their other option is. Did they like do the Star Trek burial where they just shoot them off into orbit? Oh, I kind of like that idea. <laughs> I would hope that they'd uh, get enough trajectory to, like, leave the the orbit. Because otherwise. Uh, yeah. Now we've gotten morbid. Like, there's no avoiding it with these chapters. I can't I can't stress enough that Cassie and I are very I, good people. We don't think about death all the time, I promise. Good intentions and good morals. We just also are trying to I just have world-building questions. I'm a writer. Right? That's all. <laughs> So let's talk about your chapter quote for this one. Yeah. So I picked, she was dead. She was gone. It was over. So why did she go on haunting Lavana this way? I really like this quote is so evocative because again, it's a really good insight into Lavana who has these expectations. Like I've done this thing. I've made up my mind, but there's that tiny part of her, that tiny part of her that is if not good itself, understands what is good and what would be good. That little hint of a conscience that she does not listen to. But that's why you're being haunted, child. Because you know that murder is bad. Because you know that you shouldn't kill three-year-olds. Or anyone, but definitely three-year-olds. But specifically three-year-olds. Like, just because you made a decision and mentally you're like, okay, wash my hands, we're done with this. Doesn't mean that it's like that. Exactly. Like, you're being haunted because actions have consequences, first of all. Yes. Just because you wish they didn't doesn't erase them from existence. 
And, and so that, that quote also kind of tied into my song title a little bit with dead girl walking like that, just that concept of being haunted, which is a frequent, frequent thing for Lavana, especially in this book, that idea of her being haunted. Right. So, so my quote was very similar for the reason that you picked yours, but also I just thought it was kind of chilling for the concept of like the the wicked queen of the snow white concept the memory of their little princess would be entirely eclipsed with the reign of queen lavana the fairest queen that luna ever knew i feel like that could be take if i showed that to anyone in the world they'd be like oh this is a cinder this is a snow white retelling right yeah yeah um, and so I thought that was just kind of a perfect moment to shed some light on Marissa's writing capabilities and how she always manages to tie it back in to those or those fairy tale origins. I remember reading Cinder for the first time. Again, as I've said before, not knowing that it was the start of a series. Yeah. And thinking. So I remember just- you didn't like it. Well, not that you didn't like it, but you were like too many questions. Well, I was, I was upset at the like super secret princess angle because I feel like that gets overdone. Right. But Marissa turned me around on it cause she did it so well. And she actually right. addressed the issues that most people just kind of gloss over with that trope. Um, but I remember reading like this rumor of Queen Lavana. And did you hear this rumor that she murdered her niece, the true heir to the throne and I remember thinking that sounds like Snow White mm-hmm. so it's just it's very smart and it's very clever and I I love the play on the word fairest so uh, the last month's worth of podcast that Drew and I have on of Slippers and Spindles is uh, Snow White and one of the books that we read was called Grump by Liesl Shirtliff and it plays with that whole concept of the fairest of them all as a misunderstanding. So this human queen is talking to the dwarves and they have this rule that their ruler has to be the fairest of all, but meaning like the most just. And the human queen mistakes it as the most beautiful. Oh, and I so love this, that. Yeah, it's a really fascinating play on words, especially for the Snow White story. And I get that same sense with this sentence. Because you, she could be referring to either the fairest queen Luna had ever known, the most beautiful, or the most just and the most loyal to Luna. And I like that it could go either way. Yeah, and I think that that's what makes it so chilling. Like very thought provoking. Mm-hmm. This was a tough, a tough week. So I'm really glad that you were like, "Yeah, I'll go ahead and do these pages," and you weren't like, "Can I have something that's like not really s- twisted and evil and scary and <laughs> well, dark?" That, that's <laughs> nothing in Ferris. All of Ferris right? is like that. I I try really hard to be thoughtful when I'm picking, like who's going to be my guest because. I'm not the most articulate person. I'm not the most intelligent person. And I'm very aware of that. And I'm totally okay with that. And so sometimes when it's like really big issues, I feel like I need someone who's like more educated and well-rounded than I am. And so that's why I, I, I very, I'm very thoughtful about who gets certain chapters, like the chapter where 
we discussed, you know, is what ever taking Levana's virginity was that rape. I made sure I had two people who I thought would be able to help me address those concerns in a way that was still easy to digest and not, you know, we didn't go super dark with it. And that's partly why I wanted you guys for this chapter, because I was like, I, I just, not that I'm stupid, but like, I feel like you're so intelligent and you have such a great way of explaining the psychosis of certain things. And I feel like I really needed that insight for all of the the trauma that we go through in these chapters, if that makes sense. (laughs) Thank you very much. That's very sweet and very flattering. And you can't see the faces I was making while you were saying all that, but, um, (laughs) That's because we don't do video. <laughs> yeah, but no, thank you. I, I appreciate that a lot because I, I do like to consider, you know, those things. And I remember the first time I read this book, within the first like 10 pages, I was sitting there reading going, oh my gosh, I can't believe Marissa is making me sympathetic toward Lavana, Knowing all of these right? horrible things that Lavana has done, she is making me sit here and legitimately I feel sorry for this child. And then you get to a point like 15 or 20 pages in where you go, Oh no, 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 no. There's the psychoticness. There it mm-hmm. is. We found it. It's back. I'm, I'm fine now. But and that was I part think, of why I was hesitant to read this because I didn't want a redemption for her. And it's not. And that's what I think is really important and really smart about what Marissa has done. This book is in no way a redemption. It is in no way excusing anything that Lavana has done in some We're ways. We're justifying. It makes, yeah. It makes what Lavana's done even more horrifying in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but it does serve as a really fascinating insight into why she does what she does, why she believes what she believes. And it makes her such a complex character. I think so often the villain is written off as this is the villain. They're the bad guy done. And I feel like with Ferris, we get to figure out why she's a villain, why she's the bad guy, like why she is evil. Like we get to understand her thought process. We get to understand how she became the way that she is, as opposed to it just being like, well, they're the bad guy. They do bad things. Like we get a better insight into, into why she is that way. Yeah. And that's important. And it's, but it is, there's still no doubt that she's the villain. Like, Absolutely. nobody's going to finish this book and be rooting for Lavana. I, I hope are, nobody finishes this book and is if, rooting if for If you Levana. do, I, I, I might I'm, recommend... I'm concerned. Some therapy? I... I maybe maybe a, a little look at your own personal thought process. Yeah. Your own personal psyche. Um, because this, she's just so dark. She is, but yeah, I think, you know, and I, and it's, it's okay to understand it. You know, it's like what we've been talking about this whole time. Like it's okay to, to look at this objectively and be like, and, and understand all of the elements that are at play. But as long as we know that it's still wrong, it's still bad. Cool motive, still cool murder. motive, still murder. I was going to say, I think this book really is the embodiment of Cool Absolutely. Motive. Still murder. Still murder. Like, it's okay, I exactly why you did it. I understand what you were thinking. That doesn't make it any less reprehensible. Absolutely. If I did chat, if I named my episodes, that would be the name of this one. Cool Motive. Cool Motive, Still, still murder. murder. Yeah. But no, very much, very much so. Uh, just like, 
I like that this book gives us that insight into, you know, hurt people, hurt people. And part of the reason why Lavana is the way she is is because she did suffer trauma when she was a child. She was mistreated and that was horrible and that should not have happened to her. Everything that she went through as a child at the hands of her sister and the hands of her parents should not have happened to her. And the court for that matter. Yeah. She shouldn't have gone through any of that. But it does not make her own abuses then okay. Right. And there are plenty of people that go through trauma and don't. Yes. Become evil and lash out and, you know, become tyrants. Um, but, so that's why that's why I don't like when people say like, oh, you're always going to have this or you're always going to end up like this or something. So there, there are plenty of people who go through trauma and come out the other side smarter, better, stronger, all these other things. But Lavana is not. Lavana did not come out the other side a better human being with more empathy for other people. She came out the other side more determined, but less empathetic. Absolutely. More determined for her own ambitions, but less empathetic for other people. Absolutely. Please remember that Prince Kai Fan Pod is a free podcast and always will be. If you'd like to show your support for the show, head over to patreon.com slash princekaifanpod. Patreon allows you to get extra perks and behind-the-scenes bonuses for only $1 a month. If you can't join Patreon but would still like to show your support because you just love the show so much, head over to coffee.com slash princekaifanpod. That's K-O hyphen F-I dot com slash princekaifanpod and leave a one-time only tip. Your support will help me bring you more TLC and Marissa Meyer content that you know and love. Now, let's get back to the episode. So this week, there the bonus word hair appeared three times, and there was one Easter egg. Next week, we're going to cover pages 169 to 192. Remember, at the end of this book, I'm going to do a bonus episode with Marissa, and we are going to talk about some of the concepts in Ferris. So if you have questions, email me at princekaifanpod at gmail.com, but try to make sure that they're related to Ferris, because that's the book we're going to discuss. She's going to do one with every book, so it's okay if you have other questions. Just hold on to them until we get to all those other books. Um Cassie, is there anything you want to plug? I know Slippers of Slippers and Spindles is on hold, but there's still a lot of great episodes they can go listen to. Absolutely. Yeah, you can find us uh, most places you can find podcasts. We are of Slippers and Spindles. And yes, we are currently on hiatus um, because my co-host Drew is battling cancer and that is his focus at the moment. But we have... Oh gosh, we have like four or five months worth of material that you can listen to. And I think they're pretty good episodes. Um, you can also follow our Instagram and our Facebook page, both are of Slippers and Spindles. And that's where we'll be posting information about us getting back to recording. If we're able to do that in the future, we hope to be able by the end of the summer to at least be producing some content. It won't be at the same level that we were doing before. Um, again, mm-hmm. because Drew's focus is on his health at this time. Um, but we did have like an episode that we recorded that was never released because Drew didn't have a chance to edit it. And I think he is working on editing that episode so that we can drop it. Um, so that if he sends it to me, I'll do it for him. 
I'll let him know that. I'll let him know that. Um, <laughs> I think he wants to have before. something to do is the thing. Like, I think he's That's very fair. bored. And so he wants to have the podcast to work on. It's just having the energy um, to right. actually sit and record it is, is the big thing. That makes thing. sense. So... Yeah, if you follow us on Facebook or on Instagram, um, we will be posting information as we have it and updates as we have them. And we hope, again, to be getting back to producing content, but it, it'll be slightly more sporadic and like a little less intense than what we were doing before. Um, but yeah, we'd love for you to check out our backlog. And if you want to drop us a line, you can join our Facebook group of Slippers and Spindles. You can email, at us, email us at of slippers and spindles at gmail.com. Thank you so much for coming back. I, I hope you come on for an episode of, of Winter, too, because we'll oh. be starting that really soon, which of is crazy course. that we're already on book four. I know. No, I, I will come back anytime, anytime you need or want me to. I will be here. This is one of my favorite book series of all time. Yes. Well, I'm in desperate need of bonus episodes for Patreon. So if you want to do a bonus episode, let Ooh. me know interesting i'll let you know i'll think about that and get back to you (laughs) listeners thank you so much for being here i know ferris has been um a struggle but we're almost done and when we get to winter we get back to adventure action-packed fun and not terrifying horror movie stuff i promise um in the meantime rate review and subscribe please follow on instagram Uh, Check out the Patreon for a chance to be a guest on an episode and more fun perks. Keep reading, keep listening, and until next time, don't get glamored. Bye. The passages read for you today are from Fairest by Marissa Meyer. This podcast is hosted and produced by Bethany Finger. Today's special guest was Cassie from Of Slippers and Spindles podcast. The intro-outro music was composed by Emma Pavo, and the logo art was created by Angela Wong. Thank you for listening. You are getting sleepy. Your CPAP mask is clamped tightly to your face. You will not toss and turn through the whooshing. You will not throw the mask. It's not working, Harold. People who struggle with CPAP have partners who struggle too. Luckily, now there's Inspire. No mask, no hose, just sleep. When I snap my fingers, you will remember to visit InspireSleep.com. Inspire is not for everyone. Talk to your doctor to see if it's right for you and review important safety information at InspireSleep.com.